I don't know how it worked or may have worked in your family, but um, I remember in my family, I was always really, really excited when dad got home from work. I, I think mom was also really excited because then us kids would bother dad and stop bothering her. Um, but, but, you know, I was homeschooled, so I was home, you know, all the way through like sixth grade. I went to school halfway through sixth grade. So I, w- I was always excited when dad got home. But as a little kid, even more excited, I remember as a little kid, every time that he would come in the door, I would run to him and grab him and hug him, right? And I would just be so excited, and I'd instantly want to play a game. Dad, let's play a game. Dad, let's play a game. And uh, he usually let me win, which uh, was great when I was little, but as soon as I figured out he was doing it, it just kind of made me angry. You know, I'm kind of like, I was excessively competitive even as a small child, so... uh, I didn't want dad to let me know he was winning. I still have no idea when I got better than basketball in him. At some point I did, but I don't know because he always let me win, kind of. So I'm not sure when he stopped letting me and when I was starting able to do it. But, you know, my dad is a busy guy. You know, he, you know tax season, works 100 hours a week. And, you know, every time he'd come home, you know, I'm sure I'm thinking if I were him, and I came home, I, I might want to like sit on the couch or something. But what happened, you know? You got a bunch of kids coming to hug him, and we instantly won his time. We instantly wanted a piece of him to share with us. And what we're going to talk about mostly today, and I, we may talk more, I'm not sure. I haven't totally decided how long we're going to go this morning. But as we talk, I want us to think of this idea of sharing. You know, dad shared his time with us so often to play games. But, you, know, you know, it's funny, with kids, we, th- we often think of sharing like this, you know. By the way, if you're looking for child-rearing advice, don't listen to me right now. I'm not. A... Okay. But you have kids, and they have a toy. And then another kid wants that toy. And then you say, well, you got to share with your friend. You know, I remember reading, like I said, don't take parenting advice from me, okay? I remember reading somebody or listening to something, I think it was a book, suggesting that we got to be careful about that. Because when you become an adult and you have a car that I really like and I really want, do I just get to say, boy, I really like that car. I would like to have it 50% of the time. And the person that owns the car says, uh, no, you can't have this 50% of the time. Am I supposed to be allowed to throw a fit and cry and make a big deal and say, no, 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 I want that 50% of the time. And the other adult says, fine. You can have it 50% of the time. That's sharing. And then another person comes in who also liked that car. So then we have to share it three ways. So it gets complicated, right? It gets complicated. So how how should we do this? But, you know, sometimes we think of sharing for children. And when we get to be adults, we don't think much about sharing anymore. Now, I've had people share things with me. You know, I've had my car break down. I've had to let someone let me borrow their car. I think Ron and Orpha have let me drive their extra one around a few times. That was super nice of them. So it's not like we never share. 
people come over and maybe give us a hand. But for the most part, we don't think about sharing as adults. We grow up and sharing's not much of a thing anymore. But this morning, I would like us to look at the text here in Acts, and I think what we are going to see is an example of sharing that is going to be very moving. I hope to give you a challenge as you think about sharing now that you're maybe all grown up. So it says in Acts chapter 13, verse 1, Now there were in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers. So Antioch, we've talked about them before. There's a church growing there. It seems like Antioch is being, um, I don't know, somewhat successful, we might say. They're, they, they're growing. It sees they have prophets, they have teachers, so they have these people that are becoming leaders in the church. They're not just an infant church anymore. They've gotten to a point to where they're, you know, they're strong. And it gives us these names, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, um, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. So we have these different names, Saul, who become Paul. So we have these people that end up becoming main cogs in the church of Antioch. And you know what companies do when they have a really good employee? You try really hard to keep that employee. Right? You try really hard to keep them. I remember one time, the, Mr. Nihilus, he worked at the, where I went to college, he would talk about, he had a, his wife owned a cleaning company, Molly Maid. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Molly Maid, how national they are, but he owned a cleaning company called Molly Maid. And they had this secretary. And I kind of got the impression that the secretary pretty much ran the whole business. And Mr. Nihilus would say, you know, every once in a while, she wants to quit. Because she like has kids or something going on at home. I can't remember the reason she would quit. And he goes, he would, he would tell me, we just throw every bit of money we can possibly have at her. He's like, she is so valuable. We just want to keep her. We'll pay her more. We'll give her raises. We'll give her more. Day. You know, what, what, what does it take? You know, just tell us. We cannot have you quit. You know, us as churches are probably that way too. You get a valuable member of your church or any, any volunteer organization, what are you going to want to do? You want to keep them. They're valuable. Why would you ever let them go? In the NFL, they created the franchise tag just so you could keep your franchise player from going anywhere. You got someone really valuable, you always want to keep them. And so Antioch has these valuable people, these prophets and teachers. And you know, you think Antioch's idea on this would be these people are valuable and we should be holding on to them. While they were worshiping the Lord and, and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, so they're worshiping, they're fasting, likely meaning the fasting, they're probably spending time in prayer. And the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Holy Spirit comes, God tells them, hey, I want you to take two of your best people. I want you to send them away. Whew. Boy, that doesn't sound like a great idea, does it? These are good people. You know, we haven't been to church that long, right? We shouldn't be letting go of our, our, our best and our brightest. We should be holding on to them. 
You'll see, this is where the idea of not sharing comes in. You know, we don't have toys, really, that we share like kids. But we have other things. We have time. We have friendships that we can share or not share. And the church had a big decision here on whether they were going to share or not. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So they had this opportunity to share, and what did they do? They took it. And I just wanted to give one illustration of sharing that I think might be helpful for us this morning as we have, most of us have grown up and become adults. Colton, come up here and have dinner with me. Colton, with the help of Barbara, I have set us a nice dinner. Have a seat, my man. I even got Barbara to get us a candle. Candlelight dinner. Isn't this, isn't this uh, touching between us? We're drinking air today. But thankfully, I brought us something to eat. We're eating pens, okay? I mean, I've heard plastic isn't the best, but I don't believe any of that shenanigans. So I'm going to give you... I'm going to give you five pens to eat, okay? They're a little dusty, but I'm sure it'll be okay. It's good for your immune system. I'm going to give myself five pens, yeah. Probably should have got you a sharper knife. It's going to be a bit tough, tough, to, tough to cut. Now, now, if I had Colton over for dinner and, and we were eating pens, we were sitting here and we're talking. We haven't started eating yet. You know, we haven't prayed, so obviously... If we ate, the food would poison us because we hadn't prayed yet. So, um, so we are obviously not eating. I'm kind of not praying yet. And I'm like, you know, I, boy, that, that one looks good. I'm, kind, I'm hungry. So you know how it is. My wife does this to me, by the way. Just uh, I always say something like, why don't you order your own chips or whatever it is she's stealing. But then, you know, okay, one, you know what, boy. Yeah, one, one might have been okay, but, you know, really, I'm pretty, I'm pretty hungry. I'm, I'm bigger than you, Colton, let's be honest. I mean, quite a bit bigger. I've been working hard at getting this size for a long time. I recommend pizza for that. You know, I, you know I'm actually so much bigger than you, I just, I, I think I might, I think I might go ahead and take one more. You know, and I, you know, I'm not a total jerk. I'm not going to starve you to death, so I'll leave you one, okay? But I'm just going to go ahead and... Uh, and take that one right there. You know, if I did this in real life, you would all think I was being super rude, right? You'd be like, I mean, come on. You invite him over for dinner, of course, you should share with him equally. But you know what? I'd like us to think about conversations we have with people. Every time you come into a conversation with somebody, I would like to talk and tell you about my day or my life or what's going on with me. You would like to talk and tell me about your day and what's going on with you. All right, we all like that social interaction. We all like communicating with people. We all like having friends in that way. 
But you know, if I come up to Colton and the conversation and he starts out and I'm, oh, well, Colton, that's nice. I, but, you know, I've really got the story I got to tell you. No, 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 Colton, Colton, no, 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 listen, no, I'm, you don't like to talk anyway, right? So I, you're quieter than me, so um, I, you'll just let me go. Yeah, but I had this basketball game that you don't care about that I really just really need to tell you about, right? And if every time Colton and I come to the dinner of a conversation together, if I steal his opportunity to be able to talk, to be able to feel like he's part of the conversation, it's like I'm stealing from him every time. And guess what? Colton is no longer going to want to come to dinner with me. You know, there's times we come together and one person's not hungry and the other is. And maybe there's time there's a conversation where one person really needs to talk and, and maybe one doesn't. So sure, there's, there's times one may eat more than the other. But if every time you come to a conversation with someone and you say, I've just got to tell you this. I've just got to tell you this. I know only we're going to talk for two minutes and my story's two minutes long, but I've, but I've just got to tell you. I've just got to tell you. You going to come to dinner next time? You know, it's not just in conversations that we do this to each other. It's in relationship. It's uh, sometimes people say all you do is give and or give and take, right? I mean, if every time we interact together, you want something from me. It doesn't have to be money. It doesn't have to be stuff. I mean, we don't usually run around asking for each other for money these days. We don't usually get running around asking each other for their stuff, but we'll ask for their time. Would you do me a favor, Colton? Right? Would you do me a favor? Would you do this for me? Of course, you'd be happy to say yes. If I do it every time, and every time, and every time, and I take, and take, and take, Why, why would he want to hang around me anymore? For the church at Antioch had an opportunity to just say, I have what, we have our good people. We have our good people. You know, and as a matter of fact, we have a lot of good people. We have more good people than everybody else. And we could just keep it. We could just hold on to it. What the church of Antioch did, they say, no, Saul and Barnabas, we're going to send them where they should go because that's what God's wanted. And I think we, as we go through our daily life, though we're not going to share physical items, we have to, in every, you want to know why you maybe sometimes have trouble with your spouse or relationship? Are you sharing? Not just the stuff, not just the money. Are you letting your spouse have an opportunity to talk and share about what they care about with their life? You know, you know, in general, in America, we're really kind of richish. You know, I mean, we can mismanage our money and go broke. But like in general, as long as we don't do anything really dumb, we can pretty much survive. I know there's circumstances where that doesn't happen. But 
For most of us, we can pretty much survive. So why is it that sometimes we cannot get along with our spouses or our friends? Because we have a lack of resources that we're fighting over. There's not enough money to go between us. Probably not. Why don't we get along with our friends? Because we don't have a phone we can call them and we don't have an ability to get to where they are and hang out with them? Nope, it's probably not going to be it either. But maybe it's because when we come to our friendships, when we come to our relationships, we come to steal. We come to take. You know, I think sometimes we don't even realize it. I really like to talk. That's why you become a preacher. Then people have to listen to you 30 minutes every week and they don't get to say anything back. (laughs) But you know what? Most of the time, you don't get to monologue for 30 straight minutes. It is a give and take. Give and take. And we need to make sure we as adults learn what we learned when we were kids. We need to share. Thank you, Colton. Appreciate you helping me out. I'm sure that was one of the more memorable uh, meals you've ever had. <laughs> so Paul and Barnabas go, and we'll just talk a little bit about what they do, do going on here. It says, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to, to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus, When they had arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. So when Saul and Barnabas travel, and you're going to a new place, it's often good to go somewhere where you kind of know where to go and know what to say, and you kind of have a good foothold. So examples you might do, you're like, I'm moving to a new town, I'd like to find some people to witness to, and you know, I'm... I'm an actor. You know, I did a lot of acting in college, let's say. I mean, you know, we're, we're making this up. So I'm going to join the local playhouse. You know, I'm going to join the local playhouse, and that's going to be the way I'm going to meet people and kind of get in. Well, what did Saul and Barnabas know a lot about, and what were they comfortable in? Being Jews, right? They knew all about being a Jew. Saul was an expert in it. So when they go to a new town, where do they go? The synagogue. And so, of course, many of you probably know that when the temple was destroyed and then the people were dispersed throughout, it was like, how are we going to keep from losing being Jewish? How are we going to keep from losing their teachings of the Bible? So it's what they would do. They would plant these synagogues all over wherever they went, right? So if you think about Israel, they were really supposed to only have one building, kind of, right? You think about what, what buildings were, what did God require ever in the Old Testament? Well, the tabernacle at the beginning and then, then the temple. And that was really like, so, so if it's being done right, they should only have one building. But it wasn't done right, right? They, they were dispersed throughout all these other places in the world. So they had to build buildings. Now, these buildings weren't temples. They didn't go and like have priests and do sacrifices. They were more like schools. As a matter of fact, they would be more like a church, probably almost, than a temple. They would come and people come and speak and they teach. So the, the, uh, the Saul and Barnabas, they were confident. They knew what these places, they knew where to go. They had an inn, right? Hey, circumcised on the eighth day, right? I'm good to go, right? So they go into this place. This is really kind of a valuable lesson if you think, how do I connect with people 
And where do I get started? And if you're like wondering, if you're like, you know, I feel disconnected, and I, I'm never witnessing, I don't know any unsaved people. How do I meet an unsaved person? Find something that you like to do, that you're into, that you're good at, that you're interested in. Find some non-Christians that do it and do it with them, and that will be your start, right? So, you know, I, I always think of sports, but one day I won't be able to. Like, you know, I mean, board games, right? I love board games. You know, there's just board game stores where you can go and just, like, play board games with other people. It's totally awesome. It's super fun. You just pick it. You know, you want to you quilt? Join the quilting club. And so they join the synagogue. They go there and they speak John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole... Um, when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. So they come, and they come into the specific problem. So they go, they go to the synagogues. We'll see throughout Acts them going to the synagogues a lot, but they come up with a certain false prophet, Bar-Jesus. He was... He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. So he had not, he not only was powerful in, like, in what he could do per se, he seemed to also weasel his way up into being part of the power structure of the community, right? So all you have to do to get, well, it's complicated, I guess, but one way to get power is you just do enough cool things to impress the person that has power, you buddy up to them, and guess what? Now you have a piece of that power. So he was powerful in the sense that he had, he had come together with the proconsul, which was one of the leaders of the community. So this is this bar Jesus. He had come and, 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 uh, and made friends with the proconsul. But Elmas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So this bar Jesus that we're talking about, he says, "Hey, we got to get these guys out of here." Right? But douche. What happens if the proconsul would convert? He's not as powerful as he was before. Right? What if just what if it wasn't even the proconsul? What if just like a bunch of people around converted? Once again, not as powerful as he was before. Oh, we make so many decisions this way. Oh, I would lose a little influence. Example. So you guys know I'm uh, on the Bel Air City Council, right? Super powerful guy. If you need anything done, I just, <laughs> just, just a few bucks into my pocket and anything can happen, let me tell you. I mean, they've already given me a towel with the word Bel Air on it. I mean, the government kickbacks are just out of control, let me tell you. I've got a shirt, says Bel Air right there. I mean, whew. And I've got a bunch of things that I've already thrown away. It's just fantastic, all right? So I was discussing this issue with the, uh, an issue with the, uh, the city manager. And so you might have a city and like some new thing wants to move to town. Let's say an NFL team wants to move to Bel Air, Kansas. The Bel Air Bulldogs. Purple's going to be their color, obviously. The Vikings haven't been doing it right, so we're going we're gonna to take that. 
you know, with a little neon green in there just to kind of spice it up a little bit, the, the, the Bel Air Bulldogs. And the people come to us that want to buy the Bel Air Bulldogs, and they say, hey, we'd like to buy this land and, and, and build the stadium for the Bel Air Bulldogs. As a city council, we're going to go like, this is totally awesome. Right? We want the Bel Air Bulldogs here. We want them bad. What do we got to do? Then we find out. The Bel Air Bulldogs don't want to pay taxes for like 20 years. It's okay. We love you so much. We will let you come here. We will just tax the other poor citizens of Bel Air to the hilt so we can have the Bel Air Bulldogs. And you know what? I bet you other industry will come in. You know, we'll start some restaurants. We'll tax all them, so maybe we'll make up for it. Then we find out if they don't make money, we have to make up the difference. So if they lose 500 grand one year, city... City has to make up the difference. Seems like a bad idea, right? Seems like a bad idea. We probably shouldn't do it. You know, cities do stuff like this. You know why? One of the reasons why? Because if it got out that I was on the city council and the Bel Air Bulldogs wanted to come to town and I said no, and most of you don't understand the complicated mess of the whole tax situation. Guess what's going to happen to me next election? I'm gone. Because I know my competitor that's going to run against me next time is just going to run around with signs and say, we could have had the Bel Air Bulldogs. So you know what I might be able to say to myself? I'm a good guy. Bel Air needs me. Bel Air, you know, I, I'm honest. I'm like, I, you know, I try to be a good person. They need me. And since I'm going to lose the election to some guy that's not as great as me, and he'll probably do worse for the city, I should just maybe go along with this Bel Air Bulldogs thing so that way I can guarantee my election's in six months and I, I just can't, I just can't possibly do this politically unpopular thing. Oh, it happens. Rob's got more, way more stories than I have, I'm sure, of maybe not that exact scenario, but of things that have happened. Oh, we do that, right? Oh, we just, we're going to lose a little power. We're going to lose a little influence. Oh, we're going to change the structure of this organization I'm a part of. Oh, oh no. Well, will I not have as much influence as I did before? Why not be as high up on the food chain? That's uh, stuck, right? And so our man here, Bar-Jesus, he does not want Saul and Barnabas doing anything here. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went seeking people to lead him 
by the hand. You know, we talk about all the crazy power that I supposedly have as the Bel Air City Councilman, but you know what? If God wants to get something done, he can get it done. He can get it done. Bar-Jesus was playing all the political games. He had, he had got himself in with the right people. And sometimes we think, oh, the political games are the key. I don't think the, the political games are the key. I think God is the key. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So even though they tried so hard to keep him from being converted, what happens anyway? He converts. God has the power. So a couple of things. First is what we just talked about. You know, when, when something gets done and we, we think we, it's all about power moves or shifting or that and the other thing, and I know those are all smart you know, parts of it. We do have to do, do a little bit of work and such. Now, I don't want to totally belittle all that and pretend like we'd all sit and lay on our couch and God will do everything. It doesn't work quite like that. But we always have to remember that when we see the shifting sands of the world around us, that if God wants it to happen, we can have trace. He's the one that really matters. He's the one we should be concerned about. We shouldn't be concerned about the next election. If it's a bad idea for everybody to have the Bel Air Bears, yeah, vote no on the Bel Air Bears and you'll lose the election. That's what you do, right? But the second thing that we talked about earlier, I'd like to really focus on. You know, we need to share. Not just our stuff. We need to share time. We, in each individual conversation, we have to be aware of when we're giving or we're taking. Each relationship, whether we're giving, whether we're taking. Because I think so often, we can't figure out why no one wants to be around us. Yet every time we talk to anybody, every time we get in a relationship with somebody, it's steal, steal, steal. We can't figure out what their problem is. pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you so much for this morning. I just thank you so much for what you've done for us. I thank you for the examples we have in the Bible. Lord, we just thank you that uh, all these situations, you are in control. That uh, no matter what happens, no matter uh, who gets in good with what leader, Lord, that uh, we know if, if it's your will, you have the power to do it. It's only in Christ. In Christ alone does the power of heaven or hell reside. You are the one that holds all the cards that matter. Lord, we are so thankful for it. We pray this in Jesus' name.